Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Coach Kimberly International, featuring conversations and actionable insights that equip women in STEM to lead in today's VUCA world. Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Jackson. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Keith Keating with Archwell. Dr. Keating serves as the Chief Learning Officer with Archwell. With a career spanning over 20 years in learning and development, Dr. Keating is a passionate advocate for the importance of learner centricity while enabling, encouraging, and empowering talent to take control of their future through lifelong learning. Dr. Keating holds two master's degrees and a doctorate from the University of Pennsylvania's Chief Learning Officer Program. Dr. Keating specializes in designing and executing global, innovative, large-scale talent learning strategies and workforce transformations, assembling and leading high-performance, motivated teams, and cultivating global strategic partnerships and cross-collaboration across organizations to understand and solve challenges. Dr. Keating, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. And I just want to say I appreciate you creating a platform for leaders of all types to be sharing their experience, their strength, to help others be able to learn from those stories. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's been a dream. Long time coming. So we're going to sit back and invite our listeners to take a seat and enjoy our virtual fireside chat um, as Dr. Keating shares a little bit about his leadership journey and philosophy, um, some wins and lessons learned. So again, welcome, Dr. Keating. Thank you. And please feel free to call me Keith. It's still a little surreal to hear that. So (laughs) when I hear Dr. Keating, I'm like, who is she talking about? Oh, yeah, (laughs) that would be me. So in terms of my philosophy or experience with leadership, it's not a straight line narrative in the sense that I don't know that I particularly have a philosophy that I subscribe to, or at least maybe an academic philosophy that I subscribe to. When I was thinking about what to share today and my experience with other leaders, a consistent theme throughout my career, and I may offend a few people here uh, that, that I might have worked for, but a consistent theme has been, I've not had the opportunity to work for a leader that I wanted to be like, someone that I wanted to emulate. Now, there, there might be characteristics that I thought were valuable or applicable, but no one that, that inspired me to want to be better or want to be like them. And for many years, I looked at that as a negative and maybe wished that that I had someone. But then at some point in my career, I recognized that I was still learning through that lack of leadership, if you will, because I was learning what I wanted and I was learning what not to do. And so when I look at my leadership capabilities today, it's based around doing the opposite of what most people did for me, 
and or teaching or leading others the same way that I want to be led. And there's a humanistic approach to that. I want to be led like a human. I want to be treated like a person, uh, like an individual, not like a number. And so that's the same model that I tried to use with my teams or even people who aren't my teams. I think one of my ideals about leadership is that everyone has the opportunity to be a leader. It does not require a job title. It does not require corporate direct reports. But if you look at your daily life, I am certain that there are opportunities, multiple opportunities each day for you to exhibit leadership behaviors. And so I think in summary, for me, it's about the heart. It's about empathy. It's about seeing people as individuals and humans. And sometimes in private conversations with other leaders, they'll push back on me, especially around the word empathy. And it's still one of those words that is a little, that causes a little angst, I think, with some people. And they'll say, well, there's no way that you can be empathetic to all 5,000 employees. And there is some truth to that, but it doesn't mean that you still can't think about individuals and look for opportunities to treat them as individuals and as humans. You know, you know an example is um, during um, a time where people are being laid off. As a leader, I've gone through that. Uh, both myself, I've been let go, and I've also been responsible for letting others go. And so I think in, in a situation like that, you can still treat everyone as humans. You can still create space for them to feel, space for them to respond. You can still give them comfort, uh, give them hope. You can still give them feedback. You can listen to their feedback so that you is, have an opportunity to continue to grow and evolve as well. You can coach them into maybe resume coaching or interview skills coaching or transferable skills coaching. So it's just one, one example where you have an opportunity as a leader to, to treat people like humans. And I think that the last piece is around feedback. I'm very passionate about creating a culture of feedback. And I think one of the biggest problems with feedback is people tend to think of that as a one-way direction where feedback means I'm going to give feedback. And for me, it's the opposite. Feedback means I'm going to ask you for feedback on me. How am I doing? What can I be doing differently as a leader? What is it that you need from me? And by opening that door, asking for feedback, then I'm creating space where I can also share feedback to my team. But feedback is not just about giving. It's more about receiving and, and asking for that feedback. So I know that's sort of a lot of information. So I'd love to hear your thoughts, response, anything that might have invoked a dis additional discussion that you might want to drill down in. Well, first, I, I love where you're coming from with leading from the heart because people are what get work done and people are human. We have good days, we have bad days. And being aware and sensitive to that. And, you know, to me, empathy is really meeting someone where they are mm -hmm. and leaning in with curiosity and sensitivity. 
you know, to get that understanding Mm -hmm. and, you know, hold back any biases we have, right? And just really lean in to the other person. And so I love where you're coming from. And and I like what you said about, okay, with 5,000 employees, how can you show empathy to everyone? And like sometimes, you know, that um, there's some truth and how could that be, you know, difficult at times. But what I heard and what I really appreciate is, okay, bandwidth is a reality, but shouldn't everyone try? Mm-hmm. You know, like, like that's not an excuse. If that were an excuse, we wouldn't get anywhere because I know everyone I've been talking to is busy, busy, busy right now. Mm-hmm. And again, being aware and, and curious and sensitive to you know, your peers, your boss, your direct reports. But I also like what you said, uh, Keith. Now, I really want to give you the credit (laughs) due because I know when I was in my doctoral program, it's, you know, it's brutal. And so again, congratulations on that huge accomplishment. Um, Coming from the place of Everyone trying versus copping out is, you know, I, I took that away and I really appreciate it. And, you know, as a, a CLO, which, you know, that, that role and title hasn't been out, but, you know, less than a decade in corporate, I just love your living out learning and development mm-hmm. when you lead from the heart because you're gonna gain so many more insights having that level of awareness and there's so much more growth opportunity but you also made a comment about you know out outside of work like everywhere you know people can lead and and I know that, you know, we got to have a wonderful chat before going live. And I really appreciate your heart. And Archwell is very blessed to have you as a CLO. Um, because when someone in the C-suite can speak their truth and walk their truth, it can be such a game changer. Anything you'd like to share around that, like someone being able to speak and walk their truth? Certainly. Uh, I want to, before I get into that, I want to kind of go back to one of the first things you said, and that was that um, employees are human and they're an important part of the business. But I would say yes, and they are the most important part of the business because a business doesn't exist without the people. And something that frustrates me with leaders is if publicly you ask them, what is the most important asset that you have? They will say, our people are our most important asset. It's almost like somebody in MBA school told every every potential leader in there that that is a phrase that you have to say, whether you believe it or not. And so when I think about leadership, it's leading by example. It's I don't have to say a word for you to understand how I'm leading, because if you look at what I'm doing, if you look at how I'm behaving, 
it's going to tell you everything you need to know about my leadership capabilities. And my, my dissertation research was, was largely culminated around the value of education in organizations. And a phrase that I heard over and over again was, people are our most important asset. But then, of course, when I drilled down into how do you demonstrate that? How do you measure that? Where are you sharing that data? The answer was, uh, well, we're not, we don't know, we don't know how to do it, you know, all, all of these other things. So you're, you're spot on that employees are our greatest asset and they truly are. It's just now we need to get our leaders to buy into what they're saying and demonstrate that with their behaviors. Yes, I'm a huge fan of John Dewar, um, who wrote Measure What Matters. You know, mm-hmm. that behind OKRs mm-hmm. and and currently in, in the climate in a lot of countries, um, there's more than a war on talent. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're really um, struggling with talent, um, largely love part that. of the pandemic, right? Yes, because then you really do have to lean in um, and look at people. It's the and first then, time that employees have had control. Yes. 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 I'm, um, I'm on the, this is a mouthful, the chief (laughs) learning officer, business intelligence board. And one of the common themes and conversations is around, wow, it used to be the C-suite or senior leadership team that would be making a lot of decisions and the employees just had to fall in line and execute. Mm -hmm. And now employees are, well, I'd like to have a voice in what we're doing Mm -hmm. and how we're going to execute it. And, you know, it's just like, it's a whole new ball game. You know, it it truly is bottom up when we've kind of classically been top down. Mm -hmm. And I love it. A lot of people in the industry, they're, you know, they're looking at this as a negative. I see it as a positive. And I love that employees now have control because it's forcing organizations to treat them as the most important asset, which they've been saying that they are for years, but not treating them as such. And so now we've got to actually demonstrate that. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, companies have measured for a long time, you know, uh, employee engagement surveys, what's our retention, what's our turnover, but it's kind of somewhat been done as a tick the box exercise. Mm -hmm. And even when those results aren't the greatest, they don't really unpack it to figure out. So what do we need to do differently to change this? Mm -hmm. Right. They might beat up on the same leaders each year. Your team doesn't seem to be as, you know, as engaged or doesn't, doesn't seem to have as much respect in the organization or whatever it might be, but yet they don't really invest time and resources to change that dynamic. And so I think now, you know, putting some meat behind people are our greatest assets and maybe having different metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, just like off the top of your head, do you think there's a metric that we should be paying attention to that most are not to really to say this is how we can show that we value our people? It's a really complex question that I know <laughs> I, I can't, you know, there's, there's so many different layers to it. So if you look at, I'll, I'll give you an example. I work for an organization 
recently, and we did the employee engagement scores. And let me just preface: this is not Archwell that I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> um, but we we did you know the employee engagement, and it was around eighty percent of the employees, myself included, did not trust that there was no way to measure that or link it back to the employee, and so we all were in fear of that employee engagement mm-hmm. survey because we didn't believe that management wouldn't try and chase down who it was. So I know a lot of companies put stock on the, the employee engagement survey itself. And so maybe I'm kind of flipping your question and you know, what's not working. I don't think that that survey itself works because you have to, first of all, trust the mechanism. And at least my experience is I don't trust that mechanism. Um, what would I yeah. replace? I don't know. I don't know. It might be something you and I need to noodle on outside mm-hmm. of the show <laughs> um, and see and see what we can come up with. But to go so, back to your, yeah. your previous question about the, the vulnerability aspect of leaders, I think that is such an important characteristic uh, because, and I'll give you an example, right now on paper, if you look at me, I would say, you know, on, on paper, I'm a rock star and uh, I'm getting recognition in the industry for the vision or the version of me that they see right now. And, it, you know, it's, it's a great version. I, I, I love this version. But this version took many, 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 many years, many failures, many mistakes, many growth opportunities to get here. And so when you look at this Instagram moment of who I am today, it's not the true story, I think. This is a culmination of years and years of work. And I want people to know what I went through to get here. And people reach out and they'll say, hey, how do I become a CLO? And, you know, and it's not as simple as just looking at the academic approach of, of what you need to know and, and how you need to get here, or, or at least what I did to get here. And I think all of our journeys are like our fingerprints. They are uniquely our own. And so my journey is not necessarily one that I would want others to replicate to get here. But I think the vulnerability piece comes in when you talk about the struggles, the challenges, the ugliness behind it. And I'll give you one example. You know, as you mentioned in my bio, uh, I'm a doctor. I have two, two master's degrees. But more importantly than any of that, I'm a high school dropout. And that wasn't a part of my story. I didn't allow it to be a part of my story until only a year ago. In fact, I had lied about it for so long and I was so ashamed that I forgot or, you know, I lied myself out of it, that it wasn't part of my story. And there was an aha moment that I had some point last year in the middle of a conversation with someone where it just, I blurted it out and it was followed with tears and a lot of emotion. And I spent some time really reflecting on it. And I felt a little sad that I had forgotten that part, but I think that I needed to in order to build up the version of myself that you see today and and to be able to believe in that and to also get where I am. Because if you start off at the beginning of your career touting, hey, I'm a high school dropout, no one is going to particularly be knocking down your door. But the story now is so important for me to help others recognize that you still have opportunities with being a high school dropout. Your opportunities are not limited. And the message that I received from my parents, 
from my school teachers was that I was a failure. I was a loser. I would never amount to anything. And I would spend my life in fast food as if, first of all, there's something wrong with fast food. Because the minute you try and go to a fast food restaurant now that there aren't enough workers, you're quick to complain that that fast food doesn't have anybody there. But yet at the same token, you're saying it's it's somehow negative to be working in fast mm-hmm. food. So let me preface that piece. The second piece is that I felt for so long that the box that society was putting me in was my belief. And I, I did believe that I would never become anything. And I did believe that I was limited to fast food. And that's what I started doing. I got my first job in fast food, but I knew I wanted to be something else. I knew that there was more opportunities for me. I just didn't know what they were. And society wasn't providing me insight into what that is. And so that's a whole other conversation that we could have. But the the moral of it is that um, for me, I'm, I'm very passionate about letting people know that I am a high school dropout and that I did graduate with honors from University of Pennsylvania, which was the number one graduate school for two years in a row. And so it can be done if that is a path that you want to choose. But this belief that we have to subscribe to these models, to these boxes that people try and put us in, i.e. high school dropout equals loser, equals will never amount to anything. Well, I can say you can absolutely amount to things. And you can look at a number of entrepreneurs who have also had great success being a high school dropout, but I'm not them. You know, that, that to me is a whole level of success. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not going to create anything, but I can still be a learner and a lifelong learner. I just didn't fit in with high school. It was unsafe for me mentally, physically, emotionally. And, and I look at what our students today in high school are having to go through and the gun violence and just the violence in general. And then now you have the internet and you've got, you know, when I grew up, you were bullied, but you were limited to that school. So if things got bad, you could maybe move to another school or whatnot, but now you're bullied Mm -hmm. and and it can be faced for the entire world through the internet. Mm -hmm. And, And so it's such, to me, it feels like such an unsafe situation that I don't think that we give enough power to the fact that there are other opportunities that that's not the only model that you have to follow in order to be successful. Yeah, that's a that is a big conversation we could unpack. You definitely will need to come back. Um I loved when Lady Gaga partnered up with Oprah for the Born This Way Foundation. Mhm. And and I've heard her talk about bullying and um and mental health issues. And it's interesting because it seems like we have some leaders in in businesses that maybe didn't grow out of this (laughs) Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's a, a whole bunch around psychological safety in the workplace and people do bully or harass or hold back people. And so to me, that kind of circles all the way back to where we started around leading with the heart and empathy and meeting people where they are and being curious and, and 
aware and sensitive to? I think too many people, I'll say this and then we'll, we'll wrap up. I, I do have two questions I do want to ask you. Um, a lot of leaders today confuse awareness with agreement because you don't always have to agree with someone's approach, belief, values, lifestyle, but you can be aware of it and sensitive to it and not judge, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm a redhead, so I can't tell you how many times, you know, carrot top and, you know, just all Mm. kinds of stuff that would come out and I'd get picked on. Now I think it's one of my most beautiful assets, you know, I'm like, whoa, I have gorgeous (laughs) hair, you know? Of course, that hair is now graying, but you know, hey, it's a whole other thing. Um, but I do believe a lot of employees experience it at work as well. And that some just haven't grown out of that. Like they haven't shifted or broken down or challenged whatever social construct they have. So they've brought a ton of biases to work. And again, a conversation to definitely unpack some more. But I do want to ask, um, because I know a lot of our listeners, um, especially like the women in STEM fields that are looking to advance, they look for mentors or coaches, you know, some guidance. So I'm curious what advice you'd share with them, and especially if there's any around allyship with their male colleagues. When I think about mentorship, one of the, and I'm talking about a formal mentorship program, but one of the things that I've seen is, so speak, for example, I am willing to mentor anyone who asks. If you ask, I will make the time. And what I find is many people don't even take that first step. They don't ask. Now, maybe they don't see me as a potential mentor. So that's a different story. But for me, as an again, as an example, I, I want to help anybody that wants to be helped. And so my advice is look for someone who emulates a skill set that you're looking to further develop. Look for someone who emulates a career that you may be looking to emulate. Someone who has, for me, I look for somebody who has something I want. and. I don't know that enough people are honest about that. I remember, uh, you know, five or six years ago, there was a woman in my company and people were talking about her. She was writing these fantastic articles. Her name is Brittany Cole. And she wrote this article on learning technology and the fact that it's always a shiny object that people are trying to chase. And she's speaking at conferences. And I remember thinking, I want what she has. And the best way to get that is to ask her. How did you do this? How can how can I be where you are? Will you help me? And she said, absolutely. Thanks so much for reaching out. And we've you know, become best friends. And she helped get me on a specific track in my career of things I wanted to accomplish. So long story short, the answer is look for those that you want to emulate in, in whatever capacity that is and just ask. And if you're if you're nervous about asking, take a step back and and just watch them for a little bit. Look at their social media, look at their LinkedIn profile, look at what they're saying or how they're behaving to make sure that that is somebody that you want to be like. 
don't just look at this person has a specific job title. And so that makes them somehow qualified to be there. And there's, I think there's a mistake that we often attribute job title or career position with qualified to be there. And that is not often the case. So sit back, look for a little bit, make sure that this is somebody that you want to invest your time with. It's not just them investing time in you. You're also investing time in them and you're building and nurturing this relationship. So step back, watch for a little bit, look for someone that you want to to emulate, that you respect, and then reach out and ask. And I think more often than not, just asking is going to open that door. Excellent advice. Thank you very much. In closing, I like to ask, what are you currently reading? So I am reading a book called Make It Stick, The Science of Successful Learning. This is the only book that I've read multiple times uh, in my life. I am using this as a book club book. I do it with all my teams uh, at different organizations. And if you are in learning and development, talent development, or you have an interest in the space, this is the must-read book that you need to have in your library. And I'd go as far as to say if there's only one book that, that I would recommend from an L&D perspective, it is this book. I use it as a playbook in terms of how we're going to create our learning strategy and what successful learning transfer looks like. So again, the book is called Make It Stick, The Science of Successful Learning by Peter Brown, Mark McDaniel, and Henry Rodiger. Oh, thank you. I actually do not own that book. And now I'm like, I need to put it in my cart on Amazon right away. (laughs) I will make sure that that's in the show notes as well. So if someone's um, listening in the future and wants to grab that book, we'll make it easy for them to find it. Um, So again, thank you so much, Dr. Keating, for sharing your insights and your experience and generously giving of your time um, to help us pour into women, but also men um, in leadership in STEM fields. So again, thank you very much. It's absolutely my pleasure, Dr. Jackson. Again, thank you for creating space for people to be sharing sharing their stories and, and more importantly, learning, because this is a great learning opportunity. And if there's anything that I would leave listeners with, it's be a lifelong learner never stop learning. It does not have to be a formal academic approach, but learn something new each day to continue to challenge yourself. Keep your brain growing and and keeping yourself just, in my opinion, alive. Well said. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode of the She's Up Leadership Podcast. As always, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You can subscribe to She's Up on Apple, Google, Spotify, Audible, Alexa, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm your host and executive producer, Dr. Kimberly Jackson, founder and principal of Coach Kimberly International. Special thanks to our marketing manager, Sandy Lomas, and to audio engineer, Joseph Keenan, with Short Stack Studios in New York. We invite you to join us in our commitment to advancing women in leadership in STEM fields. 
To learn more about the She's Up movement, visit us at coachkimberly.com.